Usually I would say, Aaron, come on up, but now I'm switching uh, gears a little bit. And uh, I, I get the opportunity to preach for Pastor Aaron, so I'm excited about that. Again, I told you I had it all ready for him to look at, and he didn't even look at it. So the first he's going to hear it is probably now as he's on his way back from St. Louis uh, when he gets a chance to, uh, to listen uh, later. But I'm, I'm super thankful. We're going to be talking about prayer this morning. We're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 12. Um, but uh, before we do that, you know, it's funny when I was preparing this, I knew what you guys wanted. You wanted something short and succinct because Aaron's not here. I get it. I can see it on your faces. Well, I went, the first time I ran through the sermon, I came here and practiced, as you'd hope at some point I would come and practice. Uh, but I practiced it, and it was uh, 56 minutes. So I was like, well, that might be too long. So I, I scratched a bunch out, threw a bunch of pages out, did it again, and it was 58 minutes. And so I was like, huh, how did that happen? So then I scratched a bunch of more stuff out. I, I mean, I eliminated uh, probably half of it and got it down to 48 minutes. And so I'm still not sure how that happened. It won't be that, I promise. Uh, I'll probably just stop talking after a while, even if I'm not done, and we'll just be done, um, to be honest. But that's, uh, that's how we're going to do it this morning. How many of you have ever had the airlines lose a piece of luggage for you? Raise your hand. Lost a check bag. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Okay. How did you feel when that happened? On a hopeless, you must have lost a lot because you left your hand up, so it lost it a lot. Um, that happened to me uh, when we were in a mission trip to Peru, and I, we did the smart thing. I was there with this trip, I, uh, Ange went with me, and I, you know, I put half my stuff in her bag, half in my bag, and vice versa, so if they lose one bag, you still have half your stuff. You do exactly what you're supposed to do. And we went over there, and they lost our bag in Arequipa. Uh, Rob, you may have even been on this trip with us at the time. I can't remember if this was the one. So we lo they lose the bag, and of course, I'm kind of frustrated. Of course, you're on the mission field on a short-term trip, and now you're frustrated, which is completely carnal. should absolutely not be doing that, but that's what I was doing. I was like, I can't believe this. I'm going to have to wear the same pair of pants over and over again. I'm going to have to clean stuff in the sink. Woe is me. And the Peruvian people there that we were uh, staying with said, why don't we pray that um, your luggage shows up? And I'm like, well, okay. I'm like, listen, I know Delta. And, the, and Delta doesn't come to Arequipa every day. They don't fly there every day. We flew from Atlanta to Lima and then Lima to Arequipa. I said, they fly to Lima, but they don't fly to Arequipa. The next flight doesn't get there till the end of the week. And we were there all week. So they said, no, we need to pray that your bag comes. I'm like, look, we'll humor them. I'll stand in a circle, hold hands in that. We'll pray. But I'm, I just, you guys don't understand. We checked the airport. It's not coming. It's not there. If it was there, I would have found it. And so they prayed, and guess what happened the next day? No Delta flight came to Arequipa that whole week. It didn't get there till Friday. And we had nice people offering to give me, uh, let me borrow clothes and that kind of thing. The prayer was answered, and the bag somehow showed up in a guy's van that didn't even have airport stickers on it. And he just showed up and brought, the, brought my bag, 50-pound bag. And I sat there and looked at it, and everyone was praising the Lord around me, and my jaw was down to here because I couldn't believe that happened. How often does that happen to us in our prayer lives? Right? Right? You know, I think everyone would agree that prayer is important in the Christian life. You know, much has been written and spoken about prayer, right? We know God's uh, ordained prayer. He made promises about prayer. Even Jesus slipped away to pray, right? How much more should we be slipping away uh, to pray? But I want to submit to you this morning that prayer is important because it expresses our trust in God and is a means but whereby our trust in Him 
increases, right? So it expresses our trust in God and is a means whereby our trust in Him would increase. So why can praying be hard? And how can we better express our trust in God in our prayer life? Well, we often find prayer, at least I find prayer difficult, because it doesn't always result in the fulfillment of my expectations, right? You know, this past month, I know uh, I prayed, and a lot of you did for the election, right, here in Kentucky. The election here didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. I'll just go ahead and say that, okay? But that's not the way, you know, and I, and I prayed it would turn out, you know, a certain way. It didn't happen. We'll read in this morning's passage um, that King Herod had James put to death with a sword. There's every reason to believe the early church prayed for James just as much as they did Peter. But it wasn't in God's plan, right? James wasn't rescued. He was executed. But when we pray and our expectations aren't met, we can become disappointed, which sometimes can discourage us from praying, right? Have you ever been discouraged from praying? You want to pray, but you're just discouraged? I'll give you an example just briefly. If I said you could pick a hero from any time in the past or present, and you can have 30 minutes with this person, how excited would you be? You get 30 minutes with your hero, past or present. They could be alive, dead, doesn't matter. But then I said, then I said guess what? Not only did you get to do it today, but you're going to get a chance to do it tomorrow too. But, you're going to have to say the exact same thing you said the previous day. Word for word. The exact same thing. Well, you might be okay with that. But if I say the third day, you know, I, you get a chance 30 minutes, and I want you to say the exact same thing. You would probably get discouraged at a certain point, wouldn't you? You'd kind of, kind of grow frustrated. Eventually, you'd get sick of it. And that can be the same way in our prayer life as Christians saying the same repetitive things until eventually we quit. And as Christians, we need to be growing in our prayer lives as we get a deeper understanding of the gospel and uh, scripture. And this morning, we're going to see in the early church knew that if God didn't intervene immediately, Peter would end up like James. So you know what the church did? They prayed. Now, you're not going to leave here this morning with a diagram or a manual that says, if you pray this particular way in 30 days, your prayers will be answered. I wish there was. I looked for it. It doesn't exist. Okay? But we are going to look at the prayer life of, the, of this early church and these early Christians uh, in Acts this morning. So if you could turn to Acts chapter 12, we're going to uh, do the um, first 17 verses. So it's a long narrative, but I like it. I love these kind of narratives. Now, just to give you context in Acts 12 as you're turning, things are looking dim for the believers at this time. This is a new wave of persecution. Saul of Tarsus was first, but now here's the second wave of persecution coming. King Herod is bringing it. And we see the church has changed quite a bit here in Acts chapter 12. No longer is it in first gear. You're going to see the early church here is in high gear. Now they understand they're to take the gospel to others. They're moving in the right direction. So let's read the passage. I'm going to read this. I'm going to start and stop a lot. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. That's kind of what I'm going to be doing. Um, but there's so much to kind of glean from this passage. So starting in verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king. By the way, before you guys, I already stopped. The Herod family was a bunch of scoundrels. Uh, from Herod the Great, uh, who was killing babies at Jesus' time, which was his grandfather, this Herod's grandfather, to his dad uh, that had John the Baptist's head on a platter, to his son Agrippa that's going to have Paul stand before him and defend himself in Jerusalem. These were scoundrels. So this is just one of the Herods, uh, but it's a fascinating family to read about. Uh, very ungodly. So the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death 
with a sword. Now, it's really interesting here. This is the first apostle we have, and the only apostle we have explicitly martyred in the Bible. So you have it right here in verse uh, 2. We have historical traditions of the other ones, but this is the one that was particularly uh, listed here uh, in the Bible. So it's, uh, the, the reason he picked James and John, I don't, uh, again, or uh, James and Peter, I don't know. They were the only ones probably left in Jerusalem. The rest of them were scattered doing ministry, the other apostles. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So remember, they're not going to, Herod would be very unwise to take these men during Passover and kill them. The Jews would have they considered this a desecration. This would have been an uprising. This is during their harvest time in April and so forth. So you could see uh, when he saw it, please he proceeded to arrest Peter, but he wasn't going to do anything. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Why do you think they would have put so many guards on Peter? Anybody have any ideas that would have happened a couple chapters prior to this? He was pretty good at getting out of prison. He was pretty good. And you'll see that in Acts uh, 5 and, and, and another location. But it's, it's interesting. They, gave, uh, they allotted 16 soldiers round the clock to be guarding Peter. So they got him, right? Nothing's going to happen. They got him. So verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. And this is, uh, we're going to be uh, touching on this verse quite a bit later on. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was made fervently by the church to God. Your Bible may even say earnestly. So Peter was kept uh, in the... uh, the, So one other thing I do want to mention before I move on to uh, verse 6 and verse 5. It's interesting. Herod murders James. James is dead. Peter will be next. So what does the church do in verse 5? Did the church organize a protest of Romans' goods and services? Did they storm the palace? Did they get the church ready to boycott... Uh, Roman products. No, the doors of prayer is what was open. You know, today, uh, uh, even for me, prayer is usually a last resort. We've tried everything ourselves. That didn't work, so now we'll pray. Or we go ahead and make the decision of what we're going to do, and then we tack on prayer in the end, hoping the Lord just works it out. Is that often the case? That's often the case with me. So what we see, uh, the newly formed church wisely went to prayer. So look at verse 6. I like this. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Sleeping. Right, be- right before he was to be killed. He wasn't demanding to see his lawyer. He wasn't begging for his life. Peter was sleeping. What in the world would enable a man to sleep the night before his execution. Trusting God. That's exactly what would have done that. So, uh, the, uh, and behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side. This whole thing has a neat backstory to it too, but we won't have time to get into it. And he struck Peter's side, woke him up saying, get up quickly and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. It's actually the word we get for automatic. Uh, And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And then verse 11, now when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure 
that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Isn't this great? You see Peter honoring God. He didn't honor the angel. He honored God who sent the angel. And when he realized this, he... uh, um, uh, went, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl, not that Peter gets along with servant girls very well, uh, if you remember the night Jesus was taken. So here's another one. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. What an irony, by the way, being left at the gate, isn't it? You know, this was a powerful church whose prayers had led to the deliverance of Peter from prison. But when the answer came, these prayer warriors could hardly believe it, that the answer to what they were praying for was sitting right there at the gate. It kind of sounds like a little bit of us today, or at least for me, right? So, uh, um, so when they knocked at the door, Rhoda came to the door. So now we're in verse uh, Uh, let's say 14, when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she didn't open at the gate, but ran and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying it is his angel, customary back then for them to think uh, guardian angels look just like the people uh, they were guarding, uh, they were guarding, not really getting into that this morning. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison, and he said, report these things to James. By the way, I know we have a couple James in the chapter. This is James, the oldest half-brother of Jesus, was also the pastor in Jerusalem at the time. So not to confuse your Jameses, since one just got uh, beheaded. I didn't want you guys getting confused. And led him out, and he said, report these things to James and the brethren, and he left and went to another place. Praise the Lord for uh, what an absolutely fantastic uh, passage, fantastic narrative here in Acts. So some original insights we can take away from this passage. I've decided instead of building them out, you're just going to get all of the points all at once. uh, So you can write them down and they look a lot smaller than what I thought they were going to look, but hopefully you guys are going to be okay with that. I didn't see that coming, uh, but that's okay. So uh, one insight I want you guys to think about. So our main point is going to be prayer expresses our trust in God. We talked about that. But what I want you to see is our prayers reveal our trust in God when they are God-centered and I just noticed, by the way, that it stands for GPS, so that's a direction for you to go. I'd love to take credit for that, but it's GPS. I should have really sold that more at the beginning. Uh, but we see that it, the prayers uh, uh, need to be God-centered, they need to be persistent, and they need to be shared. So first, our prayers reveal our trust in God when they are God-centered. What do I mean by God-centered? I mean offered to God and aligned with His will. Look at back at verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made. Uh, to God. You know, when you, interesting, you first read that and you're kind of like, well, isn't uh, all prayer offered to God? But don't we sometimes, when we're praying, we pray without thinking about it. Maybe praying, what are we going to do after this prayer is done? Or why did that person wear that? Or where am I going to go to eat, right? In Luke 18, 11, we have a parable that Jesus told uh, where he describes a Pharisee who stood and prayed uh, out loud saying how thankful he was that he wasn't like that tax collector, like he wasn't that adulterer, praying as a performance and not for God. You know, I like prayers and psalms because even though they're filled with lament and suffering, and at times the author is saying some very dark things, see Psalm 88 if you're wondering, their complaints, their laments, their prayers 
are always directed towards God. God wants to hear our petition. You know, prayer in all of its forms, uh, uh, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, petitions, anytime we pray, they, it tends to reorient our view and it, prayer brings a godly perspective to our situations. Just addressing God with our needs, our fears, our hopes, concerns, questions. Sometimes we like to keep those to ourselves. God wants us to pray them to him. It'll help us think differently about him. Uh, I had um, a, a pastor, uh, a president of our university where me and Ange went to school, and uh, he, he, uh, in one of his radio broadcasts where he's talking on prayer, I really enjoy uh, this thought on prayer. He says, prayer is not primarily to get what God gives us, but to go where God puts us. Dr. Jones goes on, prayer puts us in the presence of God. We abide where he abides. Not just when in harm's way or when relationships have broken, but a place where we can go all day long. Prayer takes us to where God is dwelling, Christian. Aligned with God's will. So not only to God, it needs to be aligned with God's will. You know, the early church needed to trust that the Lord's plan was good. It wasn't time for Peter to go, but it was time for James. In God's providence, one died and one lived. This shows us that God deals separately and individually in the lives of people. God's will for Peter was a long, full life of ministry. Do you know what it was for James? A young martyr's death. What's implied is not how long a life we live, but how we live with what God has given to us. Christian, our objective is to not get God to do what we want him to do, but to get our will aligned with his will. John 15, 7 through 9 says, a famous verse, you guys know this, says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you desire and it should be done for you. Christian, nothing lies outside of the reach of prayer that is outside the will of God. So we can pray, this is what I think I need. This is what I know I want, but if this is outside your will, Lord, veto it, overrule it. This is the Lord's prayer model, right? Jesus also gives us a personal example of aligned prayers. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, what did he pray? He prayed, not as I will, but as you will. So how do we know when we're aligned to God's will when we pray? If what we are praying for and what we're praying about is covered in Scripture, I'll make it really easy for you. His will is that his word be obeyed and his commands kept, okay? So that's easy. But what if we don't know what God's will is in a situation? Maybe you have a situation now where you've prayed about it, you've looked at Scripture, you've looked at the commands of Scripture, but you just don't know what you should do. Christian, let me help you. Praying with concern for God's glory is what is... is uh, God's glory is what gives us the words to pray when we don't know what God's will is in the matter. Let me say that again. Praying with concern for God's glory is what gives us the words to pray when we don't know God's will in the matter. Scripture can still provide general principles, and we can still pray for a deeper understanding of the situation or what may seem best. But as John 14 says, it we'll look at later too, where to pray that the Father will be glorified. Sometimes God will grant what we want, but sometimes God will just give you a deeper understanding or even change your heart in a way that will lead you to pray differently. This is why it's important in our prayer life we not only talk to God, but listen to Him. In those times of waiting on the Lord, as you see in Psalm 27 and Psalm 38, Psalm 130, God may not only change our hearts, but may give us additional insight into the Word that can help us pray more effectively and increase our faith. 
so that we can pray in more confidence. So not only uh, can our prayers reveal uh, our trust in God when they're God-centered, but they can also when they're prayed with passion and persistence. Look at verse 5 again. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was made fervently by the church. This is a constant prayer and intensity, an earnest prayer. This is the Greek word used here uh, is ektenos, which is a medical term used to kind of stretch the muscle as far as it can go. It means total effort. So the word here is a higher intensity of prayer than just, oh Lord, help old Peter out. This is, oh Lord, please deliver Peter. Please don't let Peter die. We see the same word used to describe Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to give you an idea of how intensely this word is used in verse 5. So we see even though James was martyred, the church kept praying. You know, personally, I prayed uh, for my brother for 30 years uh, that he would be saved because I knew it was God's will to save people, so he continued to pray. And I want to say this as an aside, by the way. Do not stop praying for your spouse. Do not stop praying for your son, your daughter, your grandchild, your co-worker, that relationship. Keep asking. Do not give up. You know, with my brother, I'm not positive if he came to the Lord at the end of his life. He died a couple years ago. Uh, uh, but, in a, in a, but he did, the Lord did answer my prayer in a different way, that it opened up a relationship with his daughter and her husband, so my niece, and they came to Christ about six months ago. Both of them did. So it opened up that relationship of her asking me about God. And so even though I'm not sure what happened with my brother, I know my niece and my nephew uh, I'm, are going to be with us in heaven. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. And they're going to be watching this uh, later too. So praise the Lord for that. But regarding persistence in prayer, uh, Ephesians 6.18, again, Paul reminds us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We should be praying always. Here we have Paul talking about frequency, all prayer. So that means public prayer. That means privately, verbally, silently, kneeling, standing, eyes open, eyes closed. This is when we should be praying. Okay, when you're driving, don't close your eyes. Okay, you need to leave your eyes open. I've seen some of you drive and been driven behind you. You probably need to be praying while you're driving. So, and, and I do too, talking about myself. But that's all prayer. So persistent petitionary prayer, again, I want you to remember, is not a means to say to God, my will be done, telling God no one, in no uncertain terms how to run the universe. We're not praying to convince a God who's indifferent, just waiting for us to persuade him. No, prayer works to increase our trust in God when we make our prayers in line with God's will. We're not to try to pray and bend God's will, but instead to place our trust in God's goodness. With Peter, with Peter, prayer got answered later rather than sooner. So why did God wait until the last minute? That happens sometimes, doesn't it? But this is how we can see how God is working. He may not be answering your prayer right away, but at some point, your prayers will be answered. Christian, if you're not dead, God is not done working with you. Keep asking. Luke 11 is a great chapter on prayer. Go back and read it this week. In verse 9, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. Look at this ascending intensity in these words. The stacking of these words is important. Keep asking. Are you trying to have children? Ask. Want to start a ministry? Keep seeking. Maybe you have a difficult child? Keep knocking. Maybe you have a difficult spouse? Keep knocking. Maybe you want a different job. Maybe you need to move Maybe the Lord is telling you to do something. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Persistent prayer. And then thirdly and lastly, our prayer reveals our trust in God when they are prayed together. 
when they are shared, when we pray corporately. Look at verse 12 with me. And when they realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. There is prayer in, uh, there is power in corporate prayer, is there not? The crucial aspect of the early church's earnest prayer was that it was corporate. They were earnest in their prayer and they were united in their prayer. The early church believed that prayer was the most powerful force on this earth, and a quick review of Acts, or even in history, we'll find many great movements are tied with people who began to pray together earnestly. Look at the early church. Look at Jonathan Edwards. Look at China's underground or Korea today, where God is and was moving mightily. The Bible is filled with examples of the power of prayer working in the affairs of history. But in verse 12, you see when they're uh, speaking of corporate prayer, you know, it's funny, Peter knew where the prayer meeting was, didn't he? He got out and knew where to go. Would that faith community church be known as a place of prayer or that we would be known as prayer warriors? Do you have certain people you go to when you want something prayed for? When you really want something prayed for? Peter goes to the house of Mary. We don't know much about her other than her hospitality and faithfulness and intercessory prayer, obviously. And it would have been very dangerous for her to host this prayer meeting. But I, I always, you know, I like humor in the Bible. I, I like this part. You know, obviously he gets left in verse 12. And uh, uh, you see he gets left at the gate uh, in the chapter. And it's funny. Apparently God could get Peter out of prison, but couldn't get him into the prayer meeting. Which was for him. Which was pretty ironic. No, obviously he could get him in there. But I like the, I like the fact that the author Luke seems to emphasize in this chapter, it wasn't so much Peter's personal prayers for himself that saved his life, but prayers of other members of the body of Christ, these intercessors praying together. You know, the Bible has much to say about corporate prayer. In Psalm 34, 3, the psalmist said, glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. The Lord's Prayer is a good example of this as a prayer in plural too. Uh, think of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Not my bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Not my trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, another example of shared prayer is gathering to pray around common themes. You know, whether there's a small group of parents getting together to pray for their kids or couples for their marriages. You know, you just got the realm post that Wayne just went into the hospital, correct? You know, so he's in the hospital, and maybe some of you haven't gotten it yet, but it's in there. It just came today. I'll ask some of you, I'm going to, after the service here, we're going to go into the bride's room and we're going to pray for Wayne, corporately, all right? These are, these are examples of what the early church did when something came up, we're going to go into that room and we're going to pray together, okay? If you don't want to pray out loud, you can just show up, but that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. But not every prayer is obviously corporate. So before the Lord gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, 5 through 6, he tells them to pray in secret. You'll be rewarded in secret. Jesus emphasizes both private and corporate prayer. You know, a pastor friend of mine uh, one time said you could tell a lot about a person's relationship with God by listening to them pray. You can tell if a person is on speaking terms with God. That cut me a little bit when he said it because I was like, oh, that's true. And I don't mean speaking towards God with flowery speech, but conversing with him. The depths of your private prayer and public prayer grow together. I don't know if prayer uh, has turned into an obligation for you or it's something you do before meals because your parents did. But my hope is that this morning we'll view prayer as an opportunity to receive the mercy and grace of God. You know, often we don't pray because we don't think anything will happen. 
If our prayers were all answered the way we wanted in 30 seconds, maybe I imagine we would pray more. But a good reminder for us all is that many prayers are answered in different ways than, when we, than what we asked. Ask yourself this morning, how much expectation do you currently have when you pray? Do you currently right now expect anything to happen? You know, we see in Ephesians 1 how Paul prayed in the openings of his letters. I love this. A comparison of Paul's letters, when you look at Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, back again in Ephesians 3, you see how Paul customarily prayed, and he provides uh, some insight in the importance of prayer. He says, I keep asking that, and then he fills in, depending on what book you're in, I keep asking that you may know him, talking about God, better. Paul made no appeal for changed circumstances, despite the churches no doubt living in very tough circumstances. I don't doubt it. But Paul isn't praying for a new emperor, protection from invading armies, or even prayer for where the next meal is coming from. And all of those things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul prayed in some form that they would know God better. Paul sees a fuller knowledge of God a more critical thing than to receive a change of circumstances. Not just getting stuff from God, but a way to get more of God himself. Dr. Bounds was a, uh, is an author. He's actually served in the Civil War as a chaplain with both the Union and the Confederacy. But I loved his quote on prayer when he says, prayer is your communicating with God. It's not an activity to take lightly or dabble with when you feel like it. Prayer takes focus. It involves you in your entirety, your mind, soul, spirit. And as you learn to incorporate all of yourself in prayer, you will begin to find it is a natural and enjoyable endeavor. Sometimes prayer doesn't feel natural and enjoyable, does it? If I were to ask one of you to come up and pray for two to five minutes, not even maybe in public, or just pray to two to five minutes, that would probably seem like an eternity to some of us to pray that long, right? So in closing, I want to share kind of a helpful method that could energize your prayer life. So here it is. Let the words of Scripture become the words of our prayers. I've said this to some of you before, so let me give you a basic example. Take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Everybody knows that psalm, correct? Or at least somewhat familiar with it. When you read, the Lord is my shepherd, what you could then pray is, thank the Lord for being your shepherd. Ask him to shepherd your family that day, to guide, to protect for them, protect them. Pray that he'll make your family members his sheep, that they will look at him as their shepherd. Pray that he will bless the shepherds here at Faith Community Church who are shepherding you. And then when you run out of things, go on to the next line, I shall not want. And then you continue to pray that phrase. Continue this way until you run out of chapter or you run out of time. The reason I picked Psalms as an example is because it was really the original purpose and usage of the Psalms. The Psalms were uh, songs inspired by God for the purpose of being reflected on. You know, there's a Psalm for every range of emotion in the 150 chapters. And then after you're done with Psalms, you can go to the New Testament letters. They're densely packed with truth. Uh, Just about every verse will give you something to pray about. Once you do this for a while you're going to start to realize you could probably pray through any passage in the Bible based on what the big idea is happening in that chapter. So I encourage you to do this this morning or do this this week. You will eventually find that you're praying about the same old things, but you're doing it in a new and exciting way. Even for you small group leaders here, if you're in a small group, you could read a psalm out loud and have someone in the group pray based on a verse that made a particular impression on them. 
You know, Jesus prayed the Psalms. The early church prayed the Psalms. Our church father prayed the Psalms. We can pray the Psalms. It's a very, very good exercise. So I imagine with everyone sitting here that there is some of us uh, in a desperate situation. You'd have to think by the number in here. Someone is at the end of the rope. They need God to intervene in the situation right now. I don't know if that's health, work, family, relationship. You may need, feel you need God to change something or some circumstance, but in fact, what we need is God to change us and to put his glory on display as he reveals himself to us. I told you I'd reference John 14, 13 again. Jesus said this about prayer. It's my favorite verse about it. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, comma, it still keeps going, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Our motive for every prayer should be concern for the glory of God. I'll say that one more time. Our motive for every prayer should be concern for the glory of God. So I ask you this morning, faith, what is your motivation when you pray? You know, we can do everything else right in prayer, but if our motive is selfish, then we'll not get the desired answer. It's even possible to pray incorrectly for good things. You may be praying for health, for revival in the church, right? Salvation, someone to be blessed. But if the sole purpose is that we would like to see it done, that's not the correct prayer. The right and only motive for answered prayer is concern for the glory of God. Are you willing right now for God to withhold an answer to your prayer if that meant it would bring him more glory? That was a tough one for me. That was a real tough one for me. So I'm going to say it again. Are you willing right now for God to withhold an answer to your prayer if that meant it would bring him more glory? I pray that will be our motive uh, as a church going forward. If you can bow your heads with me uh, just briefly this morning, just bow your heads where you are in your seats. You know, I've spoken about prayer this morning. Uh, there's no diagram, uh, method, or some uh, sermon point I can make that will improve your prayer life if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You know, all of us here are banking on something in the afterlife, whether that's hoping for the best by clinging to our righteousness and good deeds, or you may be claiming the free gift of salvation by putting your faith in what Christ has done on our behalf. Well, if you have questions about prayer, our faith, or what it means to be a Christian, please see me, see Alex, please see uh, Steve. You know, we're not guaranteed our next breath in this life, and where you will spend eternity is not something you want to leave this building unsettled in your heart. I promise you that. I want to ask Christians this morning, when you're in a difficult season of your life, is your first inclination to, we, to pray? Or when we do pray, is your prayer, get me out of this storm, get me out of this hospital bed, get me out of this marriage, get me out of this job? Christian, may we pray this morning, grow me, change my heart, destroy my pride, and in Jesus' name, remove my angerness, anger and bitterness. Lord, I want you to have the glory in whatever is the answer. I'll have the worship team come up as I close us in prayer.